I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Because every time I do an episode, I have to cut something here or there, either for time, or there's not enough evidence, or it's too short of a story. For whatever reason, I end up with a bunch of extras. Well, tonight's episode is the best extras from my research. Go to Patreon.com, Paranormal Almanac, join us there. All you patrons, shout out to all of you guys all at once. Let's get right into this one. First up, I had a couple extras from the Exorcism episode. Nothing I'm going to play for you, so don't freak out. I'm not going to play anything that'll startle you or shock you awake if you try to fall asleep listening to my episodes. I'm really happy that a lot of you guys seem to like the Demonic Possessions and Exorcisms episode. Because I did not. I do not like that stuff. But anyhow, we have a couple of exorcisms. They're really short, they're really brief, but I wanted to tell you about them. The first one is a case from China that was witnessed by a room full of persons, including two Taoist monks. One of those monks had been called in to exorcise the demon. The other monk recorded what everyone saw. And he says, with unutterable horror, we saw that the man's body began to swell visibly. On and on, dreadful process continued until he became a grotesque balloon of a man. Then, as the exorcist concentrated and commanded, and commanded the demons to leave the victim, quote, streams of malodorous excreta and effluvia flowed onto the ground in incredible profusion. This process, accompanied by an appalling stench, continued for an hour until the man finally resumed normal size. In case you couldn't guess why I cut that one out of the other episode, it's because of this phrase. Streams of malodorous excreta and effluvia flowed onto the ground in incredible profusion. That is what we call a paranormal almanac tongue twister, and I didn't like saying it, so I cut it out of the episode after attempting it three or four times. Next up, anthropologist Felicitas Goodman did fieldwork on a case of a possession in the Yucatan village of Mayan peasants in 1985. According to Goodman's own report, the person possessed was a woman, and she, quote, tore unripe, bitter bananas from trees and ate them skin and all, and pulled hot chili peppers from the bushes and stuffed them whole into her mouth. She had enormous strength. She would uproot banana trees nine feet tall or more, or pick up large chunks of limestone. And she goes on to say that she could set them in the middle of the street. So it wasn't she just picked them up for a second. She was taking these huge chunks of limestone and dumping them out into the street or carrying them out into the street. In case you couldn't guess why I didn't put that one in there, it's a very, very short one. And there were so many great on the exorcism episode that I wanted to cut that one out of there. But I still think it was a very cool story. I can't even imagine watching someone tear 
unripe, bitter bananas from the trees and eating them skin and all. Next up is about Michael Taylor's exorcism. Michael Taylor was described as a man of religion, but he began to act out and indulge in obscenity and profanity after his wife accused him of having an affair in 1974. Unfortunately, she should have kept it to herself because after acceleration of this immoral behavior, he consulted a clergy and there was a 24-hour long exorcism performed on him that supposedly discharged 40 demons from his body. Here's where it gets weird and incredibly sad. One of the priests at the exorcism warned him of a dormant demon of murder. He called it a demon of murder that was still inside Michael Taylor. Michael Taylor said, nah, I'm good. I feel much better. Went home and then barbarically murdered his wife and his dog. Eek. Next up, let's move on to cryptids from Exorcism. Let's go on to cryptids from a few of the cryptid episodes I've done. And this is one that I've been wanting to do for a while. It's about alien big cats. Now, these cats are seen all over Europe. And they're, they aren't possibly real. They're definitely real. And I know what you're probably thinking. An alien big cat? You mean like it's an alien, like an extraterrestrial is like a gray, but he's in the shape of a big cat? Well, no. They call them alien big cats because these big cats aren't supposed to exist in these areas at all. And what I mean by big cats are panthers, tigers, lions, those sized cats. These huge, ginormous cats, wild animals that aren't supposed to exist. And like I say, these are seen all over Europe. But the first one is called the Beast of Bodmin Moor. And it's described as, quote, a phantom wildcat spotted in Cornwall, England. I'm going to be honest with you right now. It's not a phantom. It's real, but I'll get to that in a minute. Now, the Beast of Bodmin Moor has been seen since 1978 and has even mutilated and slain livestock. Now, these kills show that something very large and possibly feline attacked and killed these livestock, took them down, slashed their throats with claws and fangs. Because of these spottings all over the area, they assume that there's more than one of these large cats, and it became known as the Beast of Bodmin Moor. Just to give you an idea about what should be found in England, nothing larger than a bobcat is supposed to live in this area of England or Europe for that matter. But there are so many records of alien big cats that it's obvious that something large is out there. How did it get there? Well, the number one hypothesis, and I completely believe it, suggests the possibility that alien big cats in the United Kingdom could have been imported as part of private collections or zoos. There are numerous reports of royal family and well-to-do and higher-ups in England, the blue bloods of England and the and Europe, for that matter, having large cats as quote-unquote pets or their own private zoo. Now, these cats later escaped or were set free when laws made it illegal to privately own large cats. It's very similar to what's happening in Florida here in America, where there's pythons everywhere. They're not native to that area, so it would be an alien big snake. They're not native to that area, and they think they got there from people letting their pets go or their pets escaping. 
and they're actually wreaking havoc on Florida's ecosystem. And they think the same thing happened with the cats over in England. Because you got to remember, an escaped big cat would not be reported to the authorities because it's illegal to own them, and it's illegal to import the animals. So it's a huge fine, if not jail time, if you report that this giant cat that you owned escaped. So they just don't ever get reported. It's also been claimed that animal trainer Mary Chipperfield released three pumas into the wild following the closure of her Plymouth Zoo in 1978. And a lot of these sightings does match puma descriptions. Now, I'm sure you're saying at this point, okay, but you said definitely a couple of times in there. Why do you think definitely, Kurt? Well, let me tell you. A handful of exotic cats just like these are known to have been captured or killed while roaming wild in England. For example, here's just a few. A puma was captured in Scotland in 1980. A jungle cat was killed by a car in rural Shropshire. Shropshire? Damn it, and I have an English fan who said I could always ask him how to pronounce stuff, and I forgot. That's my bad. I don't know how to say Shropshire. 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 A lynx was reportedly shot in Norwich in 1991. A spotted leopard was shot in the Isle of Wight in 1993. Another lynx was captured alive in London in 2001. And all of these animals are believed to have escaped from private collections or zoos. And there's still large cats out there. This beast of Bodmin Moor is real, and it's still out there. It's still being seen. Another alien big cat is the beast of Exmoor. And in 1983, a farmer in South Moulton, which is a small town in southern English country of Devon, reported a severe loss in livestock. And he wasn't exaggerating because 100 sheep had been killed, apparently violently killed, over a period of three months. Their throats had been slashed and they had been eaten. In fact, since the early 1970s, a large, possibly phantom cat has been spotted here and there in the area And these killings seem to confirm the existence of the Beast of Exmoor. Yet another alien big cat is known as Fen Tiger. And the Fen Tiger is a mysterious beast that has been spotted three times in 2013. And that's according to official data. There's a couple others that might be spotting, that might be sightings, but it's... It's too hard to say if they're official. It's too hard to say if those are real sightings or if they're just people looking for attention or people not knowing what they're looking at. But there's been at least three, according to official data. Telltale sightings include a report of a panther in a Friday Bridge back garden and a big cat spotted trotting across the road in Comberton. The Fen Tiger also left behind a heavily mauled deer carcass in Melbourne. Now, big cat activity in the United Kingdom was up 200% from 2012's one attack on a sheep. This attack has been attributed to a large cat. 2011 also saw just one report of a, quote, puma-type animal running across a garden in Upwood. Besides sighting the actual tiger itself, the fen tiger's paw prints have been seen around Cambridgeshire. Cambridgeshire? For over a decade, between 1998 and 2013, there were 68 calls to the cops with sightings of this large puma-type animal. 
I will throw this in for the skeptics, but it's BS. But the main rational reasoning behind alien big cat sightings is that people are <laughs> is that people are bad at figuring out the size of animals and things at a slight distance. So perhaps all of these sightings are just regular house cats out in the wild. I'm going to say no for a lot of reasons besides the paw print sizes, the fact that it's taking down hundreds of livestock. But if that helps you sleep at night, people in England, there you go. There's also a website dedicated to the big cat evidence. I don't want to give it to you, though. You can find it if you really want to. It's very easy to find. But it's sadly filled with pictures of shot, dead, large cats found in the areas around southern England. These are real animals, and it's really sad. Sadly, they're being killed, but again, they're real, and it's and there seems to be a decent number of them still out there. So any fans of mine in southern England, if you find a big cat, A, don't be killed by it because I would feel bad. B, don't kill it because I would feel bad. C, take some video and footage of it so I can post it on uh, Paranormal Almanac's Facebook page. That would be cool. Okay, let's stay in Europe for another minute or so, and let's talk about the Big Grey Man. Now, the Big Grey Man, known in Scotland as Amphir Leoth Moore, or the Big Grey Man of Ben McDewey, is a cryptid. And it's similar, it's kind of similar to Yeti or Bigfoot, but not really. I'll get into the details in a little bit. Now, the Big Grey Man is said to be found on Ben McDewey, which is the largest peak in the, damn it all, Cairngorm Mountains. I'm sure I haven't said Ben McDewey or Cairngorm Mountains correctly, and I apologize. And the first recorded encounter with Amphir Leith Moore was reported in 1891, but it wasn't made public until 1925. Because in 1925, noted climber J. Norman Colley recounted a terrifying experience that he had while alone near the summit of Ben McDewey. And that was some 35 years earlier, hence the 1891. Now he says, I began to think I heard something else than merely the noise of my own footsteps. For every few steps I took, I heard a crunch. And then another crunch as if someone was walking after me but taking steps three or four times the length of my own. Kali was unable to make out the source of these noises, and he says it was because of mist and just the general environment of being up at the summit of this mountain. He says, As the eerie crunch crunch sounded behind me, I was seized with terror and took to my heels, staggering blindly among the boulders for four or five miles. So... He's an experienced climber, freaked the hell out, and started booking it for four or five miles. And it's not just him. Other climbers have also reported similar experiences. Many of them describe, quote, uncontrollable feelings of fear and panic, but some of them see a huge gray figure behind them, while most people only hear the sounds of something huge behind them. Here's another example. In 1904, climber Hugh D. Welsh heard unexplained slurring footsteps near that same summit and had an eerie feeling of apprehension. 
1945, Peter Denshem, who was a mountaineer and rescue worker, heard a crunching noise and was overcome by a feeling of apprehension. 1948, Richard Freer, a climber, wrote about his sense of a presence utterly abstract but intensely real on the mountain and heard an intensely high singing note. In 1958, an encounter was published in the Scots magazine by mountaineer Alexander Tunian. In October 1943, I spent a 10-day leaving climbing alone in the same mountain area. One afternoon, just as I reached the summit, mist swirled around Lerig grew and enveloped the mountain. The atmosphere became dark and oppressive, a fierce, bitter wind whisked among the boulders, and an odd sound echoed through the mist. It was a loud footstep. Then another, then another. A strange shape loomed up, receded, and came charging at me. Without hesitation, I whipped out the revolver and fired three times at the figure. When it still came on, I turned and hared down the mountain path, reaching Glendary in a time that I have never bettered. You may ask, was it really the Fearlaith Moor? Frankly, I think it was. Now, like I said a minute ago, even though there's tons of encounters of Amphir Leith Moor, few eyewitnesses have actually seen the creature. Now, those who have describe it as an extremely tall figure covered with short hair, or more often, it's just an unseen presence that causes uneasy feelings in people that climb the mountains. Now, the tall figure with short hair that seems to take one step for every three steps we take, well, that's a Yeti or a Bigfoot, right? That's what I'm leaning towards as well. But there have also been other reports of a large humanoid standing over 10 feet tall and having olive-toned skin with long arms and broad shoulders. So that olive-tan skin kind of throws off the Yeti or the Bigfoot. But to me, it sounds to me like these people are encountering a Yeti or a Bigfoot. There are a couple of photographs of large footprints of the Amphir Leith Moor, but again, it's mostly just the sounds of large footsteps and that feeling of dread or apprehension. One of the explanations of it is kind of interesting. I don't know if I fully believe it, but it is kind of interesting, and apparently it is scientifically real, and it's called a Brocken Spectre, and that's a phenomena where an observer's shadow is cast upon the surface of clouds opposite the sun, and because of this weird optical illusion... It looks like this very large looming figure is coming right towards you when it's your own shadow. That could explain why that guy was able to fire three times directly at it and it didn't slow down. But he also said it was coming at him. It was charging him. Was he running towards it, which is causing the shadow to run towards him? Didn't sound like that in his description. Again, I don't know what to think about this one. In my opinion, though... I think it's a Yeti that just hasn't been discovered yet, or a cousin of a Yeti or a cousin of a Bigfoot. But still, it's a very neat and yet another example of a possible Yeti somewhere else in the world. Now, the next up is the first debunk of this edition. Now, I posted a picture of it on Facebook today, so make sure you go and check that out. Uh, you can check it out while you listen if you really want to. And it's known as the Corfu Island Creature. 
It's very bizarre looking. If you look at the photo on Facebook right now, it's of a creature that's just slightly submerged. He's grayish. You can see his eye. You can see his nose. It's an underwater photo of something, and it was taken by a Scottish tourist in the Greek islands. Now, according to the news report, Harvey Robertson was on a boat cruise off the coast of Parga, sailing through sea caves with his family. He was initially just trying to capture the unusual color of the surrounding water with his iPhone camera and says he didn't see the animal at that time, but while looking back through his photos, Robertson saw what he had captured, and it's a gray creature that resembles an elongated manatee. The strange animal appears to pop out of the water in one photo, then disappears under the greenish water in the next. Other people have described it looking like the love child between a hippo and a crocodile or some bizarre ancient manatee. Others thought it was a new species of whale. Well, here's where the debunk comes in, because thankfully someone noticed a familiar shape to the creature and figured out it was nothing more than a half-sunken freeboard fender. What's that, you might ask? Well, that's a curved, rubberish-looking fender to protect the boat's hull when pulling into a dock. It's just like this foam rubbery thing. I'll post a photo of that as well. I've seen the photo on the boating website of the actual freeboard fender. And yeah, that's exactly what it is. Zoologist Dr. Darren Nash of the National Ocean... Oceanography Center at the University of Southampton says the object never quite made sense as a live animal. What's with the round black marking identified as many as the eye? And why is there another hole near the tip of what looks like a snout? And where are the flippers or the fins? He then says, I remember seeing extremely similar features in curved boat fenders. These vinyl structures, there are many different types, fit over the gunwales and sides of boats, protect them from the dock walls. And they often have a shiny look that recalls one of the skin of an animal like a dolphin. So I hope you guys enjoyed that photo on Facebook. There are a ton of BS websites that say that the Corfu creature is real and that photo is the proof. As always... If you see one of those, please let them know it's been identified, it's a fender, it's not a real creature, and to have them move on with their lives. Lastly, let's talk about something that I wanted to talk about for a while, but I couldn't figure out how to fit it into an episode. Sadly, this one also is not real. Maybe. But it's one that I really like. And when this story came out in 2010, it blew my mind. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about the Voyager glitch. Hopefully, you all know what the Voyager space probes are. But if not, here's a briefest explanation I can give you. The Voyager program is an American scientific program that employs two robotic probes, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, and they're to study the outer solar system. The probes were launched in 1977 to take advantage of a favorable alignment of Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. Although their original mission was to study only the planetary systems of Jupiter and Saturn, Voyager 2 continued on out of our solar system. On August 25th, 2012, data from Voyager 1 indicated that it became the first 
human-made object to enter interstellar space, traveling further than anyone or anything in history. Well, in human history, let's say. As of 2013, Voyager 1 was still moving with a velocity of 17 kilometers per second relative to the sun. These probes are absolutely amazing. You should look up everything about them. The golden records, you should... Anything you could find out about them, they're absolutely incredible. But the reason I'm talking about Voyager 2 on here is because, like I said, in 2010, something strange happened. Voyager 2 started sending NASA garbled messages, messages that they couldn't decipher. They could no longer decode the data being beamed to Earth from Voyager 2. The big story was, what happened all of a sudden to make Voyager act out this way? Well, NASA has since said that it was a simple one and zero swap that caused this glitch, this hiccup. But news sources around the world and ufologists around the world went crazy with theories like Voyager 2 had been hijacked by aliens and reprogrammed to send us a message. I remember in 2010 when this happened, for days going, if we find out what the message is, if they actually release this information, this could be first contact or disclosure, because I think first contact has already happened. But this could be finally disclosure. And what's really weird is that NASA themselves actually looked into whether someone had hacked the probe either from space or more likely from Earth. So for a brief second, people in NASA actually wondered if aliens had intercepted and hacked into Voyager 2. Now again, it does appear that sadly this wasn't the case, but I love the story so much I wanted it at it here. I needed to tell this story sometime, and I figured this was the place for it. I have one more bonus extra, but this extra is from a future episode. It's from an episode that hasn't even happened yet, and it's a phone call from the dead. Listen to this. Just a little bit of preface to this one. It is very hard to hear. You're listening for a voice at the end. It's very short, so I'll play it a couple of times for you guys. Saved message. Okay, did you guys hear that? It's right at the end. Again, I'm going to try my hardest to make this as loud as possible for you guys to hear it. So let's play it again. Message. Can you make out what the voice was trying to say? Or what the voice said, I should say? Well, according to the person who it happened to, she knows exactly what the voice was saying. The voice was saying grandpa. And the reason she says that she knows what it was saying, well... This girl's grandpa had passed away. He just passed away. She came home to find a voicemail, and when she played it, she says she clearly hears her grandpa, his voice, whispering grandpa. And she says that was his way of telling her that he was okay. You'll have to wait till the next episode for more of these. I don't know how many more I'm going to be able to play for you, but I definitely have a ton to read for you. There are a ton of these phone calls from the dead or posthumous phone calls is what they're called. So there you go. That's the first extras episode of Paranormal Almanac. And 
the first preview of another Paranormal Almanac episode. So I hope you guys liked this one. It was a neat little hodgepodge of Paranormal Encrypted. Once again, I am your host, Kurt Zambig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Yeah.